Hey Matt, happy Friday. How are you? Hey Shabri, I'm really well, thank you. Um, thank you for having me. Look forward to our conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. It's one that I've been really looking forward to, one that's um, a topic that's close to my heart and I know very close to your heart as well. So I'm um, really excited to, to get stuck in. But um, before we before we start, Matt, um, I'd love for you to be able to give an introduction to who you are um, and then an introduction to UHubs and um, a little bit about what are the biggest challenges that, that UHubs is solving in the market right now. Yeah, happily. Um, so, Shabby, I've been... Um... I guess building businesses of some form for most of my career. Um, I've been in tech for about the last 10 years of that. Um, I spent a brief period in in consulting as well. And um, yeah, I guess I'm kind of commonly known as the guy who built or helped build the startup program at one of the big consultancies here in London. Um, And that was kind of like my my initial kind of breakthrough project, if you like. Um, and, And during that period, <clears throat> spent about four years working with hundreds of early stage uh, to mid-stage founders um, across Europe who had raised uh, venture funding, were scaling out their businesses, scaling out their teams. Um, and I set up a, a service that helped connect founders with investors um, and also help them sell um, B2B. So work, worked with hundreds of founders and their go-to-market leadership teams. And, and during that journey, observed that the biggest pain point, the biggest blocker to growth was, was commonly, how do you scale a predictable and repeatable sales team? And, and as you know, well, it's a very hard thing to do. Uh, lots of challenges in, in attempting to do so. And, you know, I, I always refer back to sort of Tom, Tom Glasson, at, who's obviously led Pavilion here in the UK. He, he talks about the average tenure of revenue leaders at these fast growth companies and it's it seems to get shorter every yeah. time i hear that that number so so i currently am building a business to help make a dent in that problem and and help leaders uh, build predictable repeatable and scalable revenue teams that close more revenue um so we at uhubs we're actually um leaning into the data side of the problem um so we're analyzing thousands of data points from the existing tools that salespeople use and then we're also layering on top psychometric data to, in effect, understand salespeople's strengths and their blind spots. And then, of course, I have to include the buzzword uh, AI. Uh, we are building out some AI models now to make predictive recommendations um, to help leaders um, understand things like the exact profile of salesperson they should hire next um, and how to onboard and train each rep to, to help them close more deals. Amazing background. And actually, although I, I know you, I've never heard of, I, I, I didn't know the, the earlier part of your career, which actually um, led you to, to UHubs. So that's fascinating. Um, and, you know, I can see how UHubs is, is growing so quickly right now. So you talked a lot about um, solving a challenge for, for revenue leaders. So if we dive into this, Matt, when you're talking to revenue leaders right now, um, what are some of the common themes that you're hearing um, as they're thinking about the composition uh, and the composition of talent and skills within within their teams? Yeah, so I did, I did a LinkedIn post this morning, funny enough. Um, and I was just reflecting on the, on the train into the office this morning on on some really common themes that I'm hearing from CROs, VPs of sales right now, <clears throat> as has been well documented, you know, the, the kind of growth at all costs period is, is over. 
Um, so we've seen a lot of, of pullback on on investment and headcount. I'm hearing a lot of sort of talk around marketing budgets being 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 cut, slashed, or or you know paused um, temporarily. So um, the big emphasis for most of the leaders that I'm speaking to on a daily basis is all around efficiency. It's it's how do I get more out of the team that I've got? Uh, I had a, a conversation with a really experienced CRO um, this week who's kind of you know conducting an assessment with us to understand like do, does he actually have the right people on the bus? I think so much hiring was done in twenty through twenty twenty one, early part of twenty twenty two, and we are obviously seeing now a correction, particularly in the tech space. Um, for a lot of those hires, perhaps weren't great fit hires for the role or the organisations that that brought those people in. Um, so we're seeing a lot of leaders looking to 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 move away from hiring more headcount for growth. They're having to become more creative. They're having to become much more efficient. And they're having to focus on building a team of A players um, mm. rather than just adding more and more um, AEs. Just one one other thing I'll add to that, um, given that the theme is all around efficiency right now. Um, I, I had a lunch with Sam Jacobs last week um, in the States and and Sam was sharing that one of the, the guys that sits on his board is CEO of a publicly listed software company. Um, and he he actually put it that Every time he hires an AE, that's a cost to his business. Mm. There's actually a, a drop off in productivity for a couple of reasons, right? That AE has to be onboarded. It takes away time and resources from the existing team. But also you're taking leads away from a fully ramped seller who's probably closing at 20 to 30 percent. Um, and you're giving those leads to a seller that's at best probably closing them at 10, 10 percent. So. I think it's a different mindset. There's uh, there, there's much more of an emphasis around you know doing more with less, which I hate that term now. It's been used so much, um, but it's all about efficiency right now. I completely agree. I saw your LinkedIn. Um, I saw your LinkedIn post this morning, and I think you know common themes um, there. And what the one that you one that really stuck out to me was: Do you have the right people on the bus, and you sort of can't be carrying passengers? on right now. Um, so I wanted to tie that back to something you you were talking about when you were explaining UHub. So you talked about the fact that you've got these sort of psychometric data in there as well, and you can tie that to the competencies. Um, what are the key skills that you're seeing that have probably, that are there today that maybe weren't there 12 months ago? And what kind of trends are you seeing around that? We recently did a bit of mining on our data uh, and one one thing that really stood out in Q1 of this year is product knowledge as a competency has has really um, risen in terms of our our data across our higher performers in our customer base. So it's quite interesting. We had a bit of a debate internally as to why that that is, and I think there's perhaps some relevance with you know the theme of today's conversation. We one of the hypotheses we've got is that I, I think it's becoming it's becoming harder to stand out. So, you know, another challenge we're hearing a lot of is like top of funnel is becoming much harder. How do you stand out? How do you break through? Um, and what we're seeing actually is that the reps that are that are true subject matter experts in their domain that can really educate um, their, their audience and their, their customer base, they're the ones that are that are consistently managing to hit their number 
Um, and so that as a kind of breakthrough competency right now is those who are experts in in what they're selling um, is are, are doing better, um, generally speaking. That, that's so fascinating to me. But actually, as I think about it, not surprising, because I know, you know, when I used to work with revenue teams, it was actually, we don't want to be bombarding our prospects with product knowledge and feature function, right? We actually want to be uh, focusing on the sales skills about how do you control the conversation? How do you add value? How do you, you know, sell with empathy, all those kind of different things. Um, But I think this ties in with the conversation I had with Rory Sadler last week, um, who's doing an amazing job at Trumpet, which is all about being the guide. Um, and I think right now, you know, he was saying buyers are inundated with information. You can go to G2, you can go to people's websites. Um, but a lot of people have never really worked with a guide in that way. Um, so what do you think sellers need to do to actually now, like, as you say, become that subject matter expert? so much of what I'm hearing from the market at the moment and also what we're seeing in our data comes back to um, the word that our good friend James Ski loves, which is confidence. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to love me for plugging that, by the way. Yeah. Um, So, so, and and this is interesting, right? Because when you think about things like product knowledge, well, actually, what does, what does a really deep understanding of your product and the value proposition help you to do? Well, it helps you be really confident on calls yeah because you truly understand the value that you can deliver um and then if you're running you know effective discovery and you're really identifying deep pain and you're implicating that pain you you know as a seller that you're confident that your solution can solve that pain um so so i think you know confidence is a really big part and obviously it's it's a difficult thing to to pinpoint i guess where does confidence come from i put my personal experience is confidence can be lost really quickly particularly amongst salespeople, you know, you have, you have a, a couple of bad months, you have a bad quarter and very quickly, you, you suddenly think your confidence is knocked. And, I've, you know, I've had it in reps in my team, I've had it in my own sales career. Um, so I, th- I think f- focusing on, um, on, on these foundational competency areas like product and industry knowledge, making sure that you're doing the basics well, um, and just making sure that we're removing any distractions or interference with it with our sales reps so that they can confidently execute on on sales calls with customers um i think is a really big big part of it um so yeah i, I think confidence is a, is a is a massive thing um and to your point around being that guide it's pretty hard to be a guide to someone if you're not confident in yeah. where you're taking them how do you measure confidence out of interest because it's one of those sort of more subjective things if you're looking at it on a scorecard or a competency framework what what would you how would you advise I guess two questions how would you advise leaders to measure the confidence of the reps in their team and how would you advise reps to be self-aware or measure their own levels of of confidence at any given time it's a great question and um I wish there was a simple answer um but there isn't so I'll, I'll try my best to break it down in a couple of couple of ways um I, th- I think that just the first thing to mention is there there are other adjacent areas that you can look at which are likely to be leading indicators of of a, a confident rep so one of the things we look at a lot is something called growth mindset yeah 
Um, so, so we have, you know, built into our, our product a, a growth mindset score. And we actually have started to quantify levels of growth mindset across across reps and teams. Um, and tracking this over time is really fascinating because you can you can almost correlate them perfectly um, with um, if a rep has a, a bad month or a bad quarter, quite often their growth uh, growth mindset score drops off in the subsequent month. So there's kind of like an after effect of shit. You know, I've had a bad I've had a bad one. Um, how do I bounce back from this now? And 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 growth mi- mindset tends to, to to drop off. So I think looking at factors like growth mindset and thinking about whether those are trending up, whether they're trending down, can be quite good leading indicators um, for for confidence. I think obviously the the second thing I'd add there as well is is thinking about things like activity. Um, yeah. So you know I, I always like the the analogy that um, that Tom Carsley uses, which is you know, sales performance really comes down to um, activity or inputs Mm -hmm. times by competencies. So it's like, can can you do enough of the input and can you do it well enough to be effective? Yeah. Um, So so by looking at at activity and looking at at metrics as well, that's that's another kind of good leading indicator. If you've got sellers in your team that have really big drop-offs in activity, there's probably a really good coaching opportunity there to lean into that data and say, hey, what's what's going on here? Yeah. Um, so those are just a, a couple of kind of leading adjacent indicators that I think are helpful when we think about confidence in reps. Just a final point I'd add as well is like a qualitative piece as a, as a leader. Um, I used to play a high level of golf. So I played some, played professional golf at one point. And my golf coach used to drill into me this concept of quiet confidence, mm. which has always stuck with me. Um, and the, diff- the, 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 the key behind quiet confidence is that basically confidence actually comes from, from within. It's like a, it's an intrinsic thing. It's quite often when you hear people, you know, kind of the loudest person in the room, <laughs> you know, the loudest voice, they can quite often be the least confident. Yeah. So we used to talk a lot in, in you know, the, the kind of national golf team around who's quietly confident and who's actually like running, you know, running their mouth the morning of a tournament. They're actually probably not that confident about their game. Yeah. So I think as, as a leader, I think that's just an interesting insight for, for sales leaders to think about, because quite often, you know, the loudest, most extroverted reps on your team, they might actually be going through a bit of a rough patch confidence wise. Um, and it's kind of seeing through that and recognizing who are the quietly confident reps on your team that are, that are, are going to deliver and execute really well? Yeah, 100%. I think it's that whole salespeople don't need to be extroverts type thing either, right? You can have some really um, you know high-performing individuals in your team who might be introverted, but they bring a whole different range of, of skill sets. So um, I scribbled down lots of notes there. That, that was super interesting. Um, I want to I shift back a little bit to the conversation we were talking about, about being a guide. So as you look at UHubs as your platform, um, apart from product knowledge, what are the kind of other skills and competencies um, and training do you think need to be done to get reps up to that guide um, and being a guide effectively? So I think that there's a few things and, and obviously this varies a lot, right? I just kind of um, c- counter this point with by saying that every, every, every organization we're working with right now has unique 
or nuances to the challenges they're facing. It depends on who you're selling to, you know, the, the deal size, your go-to-market strategy. There's lots of factors in play. So it's, it is, you know, when I'm sharing insights like this, I am, you know, really generalizing. Um, but, but there's a, f- a few things that we're, we're seeing um, work, work really well. Um, and with the customers that we're working with who are bucking the trend, so to speak, and continuing to, to, to grow well. And, and, and a big part of this may be down to the fact that their, their sales reps are, are able to guide and, and navigate customers. I, I think one thing is, is content. So we're seeing a lot of customers that are, that are growing really effectively right now. They're really doubling down on content. Um, and what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, publicly facing content um, generated by like a central marketing or growth team. But we're also seeing top reps really double down on their own personal content strategy. Um, you know, I read uh, it's, it's a report from about 10 or 15 years ago now. But during the previous downturn, there was a lot of data that suggested the challenger sale was a really effective way of selling through a downturn. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons I remember reading in that research was that when there's a downturn, people are much more driven by fear. So buyers become much more nervous about making decisions because, well, their jobs could be on the line if if the purchase decision goes wrong. So the stakes are higher for buyers. Um, and I think what, what Challenger as a methodology does for, for salespeople is it it helps us transfer confidence going back to that confidence word from from the rep to the to the buyer and it does that through education yeah so we're seeing a lot of the top performing reps now really ramp up their their content um carving that kind of niche out for themselves as a trusted expert in their space yeah so when it comes around to engaging in a deal with a prospect that prospect has probably been following that individual reps content on linkedin for Mm -hmm. a period of weeks or months there's already some pre-established trust there. And I think that really helps the process of guiding a prospect through a journey because there's that status and, and credibility and trust um, already established. Yeah, 100%. I'm a big fan of the challenger methodology. Um, I remember I was working with a sales team last year and I and they, they, they sell a mental health platform. And I asked them to come up with a teaching point, which is, you'll be aware as one of the three pillars of the challenger sale. And it was the first time that they'd ever thought about it like that. And I said, you know, you've got a really strong value proposition. How do you turn this into um, into a teaching point? And I said, look, imagine you're talking to someone who use regular light bulbs today. How would you educate them to use energy efficient light bulbs? What would you, you know, what would you say? And I think the penny dropped there and they realized they weren't actually educating the buyer. They were sort of pitching at the buyer you know so to say so um how would you how would you sort of encourage people to start a personal content strategy though because it's quite a difficult a difficult thing to to really do it is and I think the other thing I'd say on top of that is it's it's quite a difficult thing to encourage your team Mm -hmm. to do (laughs) go you know again like not not that many particularly more junior salespeople are perhaps confident enough to to go out and create their own organic content um i I guess just a couple of things that i I found to work um pretty well particularly as a guy who has for the last four or five years deleted all social media with the exception of linkedin so when it came to you know content and posting and self-promotion that was 
like my least favorite um thing in the world but I've, I've been pushed and encouraged by some good people around me to to do it and i've been posting pretty consistently for the last 12 18 months on on linkedin so as someone who's really bad at it some things that have worked for me personally um have just been routine so i think it's like you know james clear atomic habits it's mm. got to become ingrained into your your daily uh, process and routine what what works for me is that i actually block an hour out on a sunday afternoon usually when i'm watching football uh, on the t- on on the tv and sitting on the couch uh, and what i'll do is i'll actually throughout the week i've just got a folder a notes folder on my phone called content ideas and whenever i'm having an interesting conversation like the one we're having now um i'll come off the call i've dropped down something really quickly that's just sparked a little idea for a little insight and then on sunday i'll pick up those bullet points and maybe you know by the time you get to friday you think of i don't know about you but you know I, i'll have anywhere between like five to ten um customer conversations a day um, i'm getting to the end of friday that there's easily 15 to 20 bullet points in that folder and then i just build each bullet point out into like a little post um whatever that post kind of is and and i find sunday's like a good time for me to do that personally yeah um and and obviously everything it kind of compounds right i think this is the big thing um we found with content is as you start th- if you, as you start making a proactive effort to generate more content, you're having more conversations with more relevant people in your ICP who are then giving you more relevant insights that then attracts more people within the ICP. So there's a compounding effect to it. Um, but just, just creating yourself a routine um, and, and being being strict about uh, how you do it and then just, just, just being consistent and making sure you're, you're, you're trying to post consistently and you're engaging with um, other people's content as well small things which i'm sure many of the listeners would have heard before um but but seem to have worked well for me i love that that's really tangible advice there i remember someone once said to me um after your sales calls they're a salesperson they said after your sales calls make a note of all the questions that your prospect has asked you and then you'll start to see trends and those may be frequently asked questions i love that start posting that because that's what people in your network and the ICP that you're selling to are obviously asking and it's top of mind for them. Um, so some really tangible stuff there. I think that that's excellent. Um, so you talked a little bit about in Q1 product knowledge was one of the top things that you were seeing. And um, within the profiling that um, that you do, are there any other insights that, that have massively changed in the way that product knowledge has, has changed that you can share? We've seen, um, we've seen a big change across the board just in terms of um the so the the way that we look at things is we look at what we call above target performance so we look at your your a players and your existing team and then we also profile um your below target performance and then we compare and contrast we look at the differences um we look for commonalities and and what we really are trying to do is we're trying to understand what is that that ideal dna of a of a high consistent high performer look like within your team what we're not doing is we're not saying that you have to hire salespeople that look exactly like each other um but what we're trying to do is we're trying to look for the common characteristics that can at least de-risk the process for leaders right because it's a risky business building uh building salespeople it's expensive um i think 380k is the average cost of a unsuccessful sales hire right So um, in looking at the analysis between above target and, and below target, I think just, just a, 
a, a couple of generic insights to share is that the profiles have changed. Yeah. So we've seen that the high performers have been able to adapt and they've been able to shift um, their ability to develop new skills as well. Um, growth mindset is always a really important one, which I mentioned mentioned earlier. And I think the importance of growth mindset is that it helps A players continuously develop new skills. You know, like the job is never done. I met um, a high-performing AE at a, a really well-known software business last week in the States who's got almost 20 years of sales experience, has chosen to continue as an IC and just absolutely loves loves the, the game, like just loves the sales game, uh, has just so much passion for, for the profession and is just constantly um, constantly learning new things and constantly trying to add to the skill set. And I think that's like a that's like a great example. I think about some of the great going back to football, I think about some of the great Premier League footballers, you know, pe- people like Skulls, Giggs, you know, they even at like kind of 38, 39 at the end tail end of their career, there's stories from Sir Alex Ferguson and Rio Ferdinand. And so talking about how like th- those guys were the hardest workers. Yeah. You know, like they were so diligent in terms of their processes and their improvement and their recovery. And I think there's a lot that salespeople can learn from 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 sports people like that. I mean, obviously, t- you've got examples in tennis as well, right? The, the way that Nadal and Federer and these guys have just gone on and on and on. But they work harder. They, they work harder than the other guys. They're, they're meticulous about the preparation. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's no different for, for, for salespeople. Um, and, and, you know, we really are seeing a players have the ability to and the mindset to to continuously do that, whereas perhaps B and C players are um, are less willing. I love the both the Manchester United analogies and the Tallis analogies, both the two things that are that are close to my heart. So I, th- I think you're all right. I think it's not just about. Um, I think before I've worked with sales reps who would do 120% of quota, but terrible on process terrible at sort of engaging in team meetings that kind of lone wolf if we think back to the challenger that kind of lone wolf profile I don't think that carries you anymore um and so I think you know as you talk about this kind of all-rounded approach um about you know the planning the mindset the confidence the attitude it's all about your work ethic and I think it's so much more now um and and then on the flip side the people that are kind of below target what are some of the attributes and, and traits you're seeing there well, they're definitely lower scores in a lot of these key areas, right? Um, we've seen, you know, for instance, one simple thing, but particularly for junior salespeople and outbound sellers, SDRs, um, like time management and planning. So zooming in on their ability to complete tasks in the time frame that they set themselves, um, the ability to be accountable to getting something done when they said they're going to do it um is is definitely you know comes out lower and 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 these are you know i i think it's it's not it's not rocket science what we're talking about right a lot of this is just like the basics of the basics of sales but but in our experience the above target profile the a player profile they they do the basics exceptionally well um generally speaking so we see lower scores across the board in 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 core core competencies time management and planning um, client communication, responsiveness, you know, and these are the things that really matter right now. 
um, going back to your, you know, the point around being a guide for your customer. Well, your prospects can get lost pretty quickly if you don't follow up with them for more than, you know, 48, 72 hours. Prospects are thinking, well, they, you know, this isn't a trusted guide. They didn't really care about me. They've kind of left me on this journey. Um, so being really responsive, um, you know, do, doing the basics and the fundamentals well. Um, it's what we're seeing in the data. I don't think it's rocket science or anything new, but I just think that we've come out of a really inflated market where we could get away with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. We can't get away with that anymore. A hundred percent. I think loyalty and trust are probably becoming harder to gain. So what we did a year ago, two years ago, isn't going to fly now. Um, so that's super, that's super insightful. Thank you so much. I've, I've scribbled down loads of notes. Um, I guess final question is what is an example of a, of a rep or company who you think are, are really nailing this approach that we've talked about and that you have experienced and, and what made it so special um, that stood out to you as a, as a buyer? It's a great question. Um, so with my buyer's hat on, as in someone that I've bought from recently? Yeah. yeah. Or maybe not even bought from, but you went through that buying process and, and at least their their approach really stood out to you and they they were that sort of guide and um, above target seller and they, they displayed those competencies. Yeah, so I, look, I'm going to, uh, I, I won't name any names, but we, um, Q4 last year, we became, we became a sales loft customer. So we, uh, I went through a buying buying journey with with them. That was obviously like peak uncertain times, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, like wouldn't advise trying to close a funding round during that that time. Jesus, um, <laughs> but uh, but but you know that was that was a, a solution that my team had. I I think the the the, the sales loft reps and it, there was more than one of them so that that was another thing that's interesting i think working as a team on a deal is is, is something else we're seeing quite a lot of um they had done a really good job of kind of creating a panel of advocates uh within my team so that you know that the, the, the deal was almost the was basically a contract stage before i even got um, yeah. pulled in yeah, wow yeah so they did a really good job of of pulling together uh advocates within within the organization um i mean even small things like i'm in the office today and it's just me and i'm looking around and like everyone's got these sales loft phone chargers on their desks <laughs> so it's, it's i know it's a small thing but it's like they'd done that months in advance um the stash front of mind they built really good buy-in and and uh kind of committee um and and then really i came in right at the end just to to negotiate um deal term so I, I think that was a really great example um of how that how they they were actually the guide to the champions or uh within within my team um and did such a good job of it that you know that they actually didn't need economic buyer involvement until the final step amazing so, like some really good stuff there i love the idea of like working as a team and building that panel of advocacy and you're not the first person who has given sales loft as an example for that final question so um we're, we're looking forward to having someone from sales loft on here soon sharing sharing all their secrets too um but for now thank you so much matt uh, incredibly insightful i really enjoyed the conversation and thanks for joining us
Thank you, Shabri. Um, biggest takeaway for me is that you're a fellow Manchester United fan. So <laughs> after last night, potentially, potentially uh, considering a change.